الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين So we're starting a new uh, surah today in tafsir. We're going to be taking a break after today from the, from the classes. Uh, kids class will be on tomorrow, but I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks. So I can't give you the exact date, but you can keep up to date on the Masjid Furqan, either the Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, inshallah, we'll let you know. But roughly we're looking at missing two weeks of classes, give or take. May extend to three, but inshallah, should be, I'm expecting it to be two weeks of classes, not more than that, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So I'm expecting, if everything goes well, bi-idhnillah, to resume uh, one week, two weeks, three weeks. Hmm. Yeah, for Friday, it might be a little bit longer than that. So we might end up resuming 15th of January for the class on a, on a Friday because of the way the days work. Um, the other classes like Bulugh might resume sooner. But um, anyways, inshallah, we're going to be having a break after this week's class. So just pay attention to that, inshallah. So we're starting, And this is very nice for us actually for a, a nice reason that we actually reach halfway in Juz Amma. When we finish this surah, we've reached halfway in Juz'u Amma. And when we started this tafsir class, our goal was Juz'u Amma and Juz'u Tabarak. So alhamdulillah, we, we reached a quarter of the way towards that goal, or we will do when we finish the surah. Bi'ithnillahi al-kareem. Sabbih isma rabbika al-a'la. The first thing that we need to establish is what Al-Imam Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, It is a surah that was revealed in Makkah. Now, one of the areas of Ulum Al-Quran, the areas of the science of the Quran that you study is Al-Makki Wal-Madani. How do you classify the surah as being a Makkan surah or a surah that was revealed in Medina. And we said there is a right way and a wrong way. The right way is to base it upon the athar, the narrations. And the wrong way is to base it on the content exclusively. And we're going to see two examples or both examples of this in this surah. So why did Ibn Kathir say this surah is Makkiyah? Because of a hadith, and this hadith is narrated by Al-Bukhari from the hadith of Al-Bura ibn Azib radiyallahu anhuma. And in this hadith, he mentions the first time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to Medina and that the first person to reach Medina from the people who came from outside was Mus'ab ibn Umair radiyallahu anhu. وَبْنُ أُمِّ مَكْتُومِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ And they used to recite the Qur'an for the people of Medina. He said, ثُمَّ جَاءَ عَمَّارُ وَبِلَالُ وَسَعْدُ 
Then he mentions that Umar ibn al-Khattab came. Then he mentions the Prophet came and he mentions the happiness of the people of Medina. Then he said, فَمَا جَاءَ حَتَّى قَرَأْتُ سَبِّحِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى فِي سُوَرٍ مِثْلِهَا He said, before he came, I had learnt سَبِّحِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى And the word قَرَأْتُ here, uh, it's often used to mean حَفِظْتُ You find that, like for example, in the... Well, it comes to mind that it's a shabi, but I might be wrong about that. It's from my memory. That when the young boy used to come into the class and he would say to the young boy, Aqara'at al-Qur'an. And have you memorized the Qur'an? So you find this, sometimes they use it like this. He said, Hatta qara'tu sabbihisma rabbika al-a'la. Until I had read, I had, I had learnt, sabbihisma rabbika al-a'la. There are a few things we want to mention. So that's an example of the right way. Let me give you an example of the wrong way. Some people, they said, Sabbihisma Rabbikal A'la is a surah which is Madaniya. It was revealed in Medina. Okay, but the riwayah of Bukhari is uh, clear that it came before the Prophet ﷺ reached Medina. What did they give as the example? They said the statement of Allah Successful is the one And they took the word tazakkah Who gives the zakah Right? This is zakah didn't come until Medina But we said this is not a reliable way Of determining the Makki and the Medina Really for two reasons I'm going to give you why It's not a reliable way of determining it One is that the meaning of zakah here doesn't have to be zakat that is revealed. It can, there are, it can be man zakah nafsahu, whoever purifies themselves. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be zakah. But there's a stronger reason even more, which is that many times so far we've seen ayat being revealed where the ayah comes before the hukam. The ayah comes before the actual ruling comes. Can anyone remember an example of that that we did so far in the tafsir? Very clear example which the ayah came long, long before the actual event itself happened. YouTuber can answer as well. We can ask the internet. In the tafsir so far, quite recently, not long ago, we did an ayah, and this ayah, it, if we take this tafsir, the hukam of the ayah didn't happen for more than 10 years at least. No, not walayal in ashr. That's not what I can think of. Anyone on the... They ask him what was the question? The question, <laughs> the question is... Oh God, the question I repeated so many times, how many times did I should repeat the question for? لا أقسم بهذا البلد وأنت حل بهذا البلد 
We said, وَأَنْتَ حِلٌّ بِهَذَا الْبَلَدِ If we take the tafsir that it means that Makkah is halal for you to fight in, Makkah did not become halal for the Prophet to fight in except for سَاعَةً مِنَ النَّهَارِ One time of the day in Fath Makkah. Fath Makkah, how many years after the ayah was revealed, Surah Al-Balad, was Fath Makkah? Over a decade. From, so you, many times the ayah is revealed and the ruling of the ayah doesn't come until later on. And it's not until later that the actual ruling of the ayah brings a, a ruling that this is okay, this is zakah, this is how much you pay, this is when you pay it, comes later on. So it's not very reliable to look at the content and say, oh, it mentions zakah, it must be madaniya. It, it mentions jihad, it must be Madaniyah, because we know that zakah and jihad didn't come until Medina. But it's better to look at, you can get an idea, but it's better you look at the riwayat. Look at the narrations, and this will determine when did this, when was this surah revealed. As for the narrations that mention tartib al-surah, they mention which surah came first and second and third and fourth and all the way to 114, for what we know is there is no authentic narration that is authentic in this regard. There is narration for some, like the first thing that was revealed was Iqra. We know after that, uh, Al-Muddathir. And so we know some things, but this idea that there is a hadith that lists every surah one by one, the order they came in, what we know is that this, this is مِمَّا لَا يَصِحُ مِنْهُ Nothing from it is reliable in that regard. Uh, this surah has a few uh, interesting points to mention. It is also from the surahs the Prophet ﷺ recommended to Mu'adh to read in Salatul Isha. I mention many times because every time we come to a surah, I mention this is the surah that the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'adh to read. If you remember, Mu'adh used to pray with the Prophet ﷺ, then he used to go and lead his own people in prayer. And when he led his own people in prayer, he used to lengthen the salah. And there was a man, and if I remember rightly, he, was a, he had camels, if I'm not mistaken. If I remember correctly, he had camels. Wallahu a'lam. And he was so troubled by the lengthening of the prayer, he broke his prayer behind Mu'adh and prayed by himself. And Mu'adh, Obviously he was upset by it and he, you know, didn't have, he, he rebuked him very strongly for it. Because this is the characteristic of the munafiq. When they stand to pray, they're lazy and they, you know, they don't want to pray. When he brought him to the Prophet wasallam, the Prophet asked him, what made you do this? And he mentioned how long Mu'adh made the prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, أَتُرِيدُ أَن تَكُونَ فَتَّانًا لِلنَّاسِ يَا مُعَاذِ That do you want to be a troublemaker for the people, O Mu'adh? Do you want to put the people into trial? And he said to him, هَلَّا صَلَّيْتَ بِسَبِّ حِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى He said, why do, or would you not have led the prayer with سَبِّ حِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى or with Ashamsi wa or with Wallayli, Ida Yaksha. 
in Salat Al-Isha. So this kind of length is the length that is recommended for the Isha prayer. There is no harm if the Imam sometimes does more than that, sometimes does less than that. But generally speaking, you want to be keeping the Isha to around that length. So if you look at Sabbih Isma Rabbika Al-A'la, it is just a little bit more than a page of the Mus'haf. And if you look at Washamsi wa Duhaha, it's a little bit less, maybe two-thirds of a page. And if you look at Wal-Layl, probably when you line it up, it's around about a page, give or take. So that's the kind of length in each raka'ah for Isha that we should be reading in the Isha prayer. And any, whichever of the, the surahs of the Qur'an that are that sort of length. It's also narrated from the hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiyallahu anhuma that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that he would lead the Eid prayer with Sabbih isma rabbika al-a'la and hal ataka hadith al-ghashiyah and if it happened that that was on the day of Jumu'ah, then he would read it in both the Jumu'ah and the Eid prayer. And it's also narrated that he would read it in كَانَ يَقْرَأُ فِي الْعِيدَيْنِ وَيَوْمِ الْجُمْعَةِ بِسَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ الْغَاشِيَةِ And this is the uh, wording of Muslim in his Sahih. وَرُبَّمَ اجْتَمَعَا فِي يَوْمٍ وَاحِدٍ فَقَرَأَهُمَا And perhaps there would come a day where Eid and Jumu'ah was on the same day and he would read it in both. Or he would read both. So this is from the surahs the Prophet used to read in Eid. Do you remember the other famous surah he used to read in Eid? Qaf. Very good. Qaf wal Quran Majid. Used to read in Eid. And definitely the Imam has to look at the situation of the people praying behind him. Uh, sometimes you see on Eid, their problem is the place is so full there is not room to move. So it's better he should read with to make it easy for the people. But if he sees that sometimes he's able to lengthen it, there is a bit more time, more space, or so praying in the park, in the musalla, and he wants to read Surah Qaf, then this is also from the, uh, from the Sunnah. And Imam Ahmed narrated from Ubay ibn Ka'ab, and from Abdullah ibn Abbas, and Abdurrahman uh, ibn Abza wa Aisha, and Aisha radiallahu anha, radiallahu anhum, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to read in the witter prayer, سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى and قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ and قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ and Aisha added, وَالْمُعَوِّذَتَيْنَ and الْفَلَقْ عَنَ النَّاسِ So the most common the Prophet used to read in witter is سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى in the first of the three and Al-Kafirun in the second of the three and Qul Allahu Ahad in the third of the three. That's if you pray it as three or as two followed by one. And if you pray the witr as three, you should not sit for the second tashahud. You should just stand constantly. There is no middle tashahud. If you pray as three, you pray one raka'ah, then another, then another without any tashahud and then you sit only at the end. Because of the hadith prohibiting 
making witr like Maghrib. So you don't pray witr in the form of Salat al-Maghrib. But if you pray it too, and then you give salam and you stand, the same is said. Sabbihizma rabbika al-a'la ana al-kathirun and qul huwa Allahu ahad. And this is a sunnah from the mustahabbat. It's not, it's not obligatory for a person uh, to do so. As for the names, the surah is most commonly known in the narrations by the beginning, the first part of it, or the first ayah, Sabbihizma rabbika al-a'la. That it is surah Sabbihizma rabbika al-a'la. It's also called Surah Sabih as a, in a shortened form. And in some of the books of Tafsir, we, as we know, it's called Surah Al-A'la, Surah Al-A'la. And we know the names of the surahs are not, generally speaking, not all of them anyway. They are not all of them narrated from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has certain surahs, Surah Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran, some Al-Ikhlas, but even then there are different names. Surah Al-Ikhlas, what do we say? Another name, the Prophet himself called it Allah Al-Wahid uh, Al-Samad. He said Allah Al-Wahid Al-Samad. He called it like that. And other names. So there are many, many, you know, there are many uh, different names for the different surahs of the Quran. The surah begins with the command Sabih. And just to tie things in for people who maybe are just starting out with the Arabic language, Sabih is obviously a command to, to make tasbih, to say Subhanallah. So Sabihisma Rabbik basically means to say Subhana Rabbi. That in a in a literal sense. And of course, al-a'la, if we bring it together, means to say, subhana rabbi al-a'la. And he sabbih, make tasbih. Sabbih. Sabbih isma rabbik with the name of your Lord or in the name of your Lord. Al-a'la, the Most High. So let's uh, take this uh, or break this down and let's ask ourselves first of all the meaning of sabbih or the meaning of the meaning of subhanallah so this is what we call kalimatu tanzih it's about declaring allah azza wa jal to be perfect and free of imperfections that's what the essence of the, the word subhanallah means. It means how perfect and free of imperfections you are. And that's why when we say tanzih, it means that you are declaring Allah to be free of all of the imperfect things that are said about him and all of the wrong things that are said about Allah. You are declaring your opposition to that. And you are pronouncing that Allah is free of anything and everything which is imperfect. And anything and everything which is wrongfully said about him. Or wrongly said about him. 
And that's why you find this term used when the disbelievers say evil things about Allah. They say that Allah took a son, subhanallah. I free is Allah from what they say about him. Because Allah is perfect. And we understood that from the statement of Allah Azza in Surah Al-A'raf, if I'm not mistaken. That Allah has Al-Asma Al-Husna. And this word Husna, that's what it means. The peak and the pinnacle of beauty and perfection. That there is nothing more beautiful than these names and there is nothing more perfect than these names. And there is no deficiency in them at all. There is no naqs. There is nothing which is flawed. There is nothing which is wrong. There is nothing which is deficient or imperfect. Everything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his asma and his sifat are perfect without any flaws, without any deficiency, without any uh, comparison to his creation and so on. So this word is a word where you proclaim this belief. When you say subhanallah, you proclaim this belief. And that, that entails that you are negating about Allah everything that Allah negated about himself. And everything the Prophet ﷺ negated about him from the things that people said about Allah without knowledge. They said that Allah took a son, subhanallah. They said the angels are the daughters of Allah, subhanallah. People say that Allah oppresses. Why has Allah done this to me? Subhanallah. They said things about Allah when they compared him to his creation. That, like the Jews that said that Uzair is the son of Allah and so on. Subhanallah. All these things that are said about Allah in falsehood. When you say subhanallah, you are affirming that Allah is free of all of those things. And that everything about Allah is the pinnacle of perfection and beauty. And every one of Allah's names and attributes can only be understood in the context of perfect beauty and perfection in every single way. That's what Allah's names and attributes are. And that's the meaning of subhanallah. And that's why it's also sometimes appropriate to mention this word when you reflect upon the mistakes of the creation of Allah and their flaws. You know, someone does something wrong or something bad and you can say about it, subhanallah, that how perfect is Allah and look at how imperfect we are. How we have flaws and errors and mistakes and we slip up and we do things wrong and we sometimes fall short or many times fall short. But Allah Jalla fi ula is absolutely perfect in every way. So we said, Sabbih, Allah is commanding you to pronounce this, to, to declare this. And this is from the adhkar, which are uh, both general and specific. Meaning it has, it's from the general adhkar that are permitted to say at any time, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Bihamdih, Subhanallah, Al-Azim. 
is from the words that are easy on the tongue and heavy on the scales and beloved to the most merciful, like the last hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari. Kalimatani, khafifatani ala lisan, thaqilatani fil mizan, habibatani ila rahman subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallah al-azim. Or kama qala sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. So, this is from the adhkar which are general. But it also has times where it's from the adhkar which are specific to particular times. Like saying what you say in your ruku' subhana rabbi al-a'la uh, subhana rabbi al-azim and what you say in your sujood subhana rabbi al-a'la. And the form here in the beginning of the surah is in the form of subhana rabbi al-a'la. So the ayah, the ayah here, it tells you to say subhana rabbi al-a'la. There is a hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that indicates that this is to be said in the it is to be said in the sujood because there is a in which surah did it come for sabbih bismi rabbikal azim no uh, in haqqa at the end huh? وَإِنَّهُ لَحَقُّ الْيَقِينَ فَسَبِّحْ بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ And the Prophet wasallam told us to make it in, make it in your ruku' Put make this saying, this saying here is for your ruku' And سَبِّحْ بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَلَى This saying here is for your sujood That specific wording is for your sujood سُبْحَانَ رَبِّ الْعَلَى as for the word Rabbi, we've already spoken about the word Rabb in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, so we won't repeat too much about it, except to say that a Rabb, in the language of the Arabs, it has a meaning, which is Sayyid al-Malik al-Muta'a, like some of them they said, uh, the commander, the one who controls everything, the sovereign, the one who is obeyed, they said that this is the meaning of the word Rabb linguistically and usually. And that's what, when the Arabs used the word Rabb, that's what they meant. And the Rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah's Lordship, that revolves around all of the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything that Allah does. That's why if you define Tawheed or Rububiyyah, what does it mean to, to declare Allah to be one in His Lordship? It is to be de to declare Allah one in His actions, in the actions that He does. Creation, control, provision, uh, sustenance, giving life and causing death, sending down the rain, owning whatever is in the heavens and the earth, giving reward. All of that is from the things that are only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And from the meaning of the word Rabb is Al-Murabbi, the one who nurtures. And Allah nurtures in two ways. He nurtures in a general way and he nurtures in a specific way. The general way, he nurtures everything. The believer, the disbeliever, the animals, the plants, everything is under his tarbiyah. Tarbiyatul Amma, the general nurturing that he gives to all of his creation. Giving them what they need, the basics they need to be able to live, to be able to thrive, to be able to know what is right for them and what is not. And then there is a tarbiyah khasa, which Allah gives to the people of Iman, which is that Allah nurtures your Iman and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of you and protects your Iman for you and causes you your Iman to grow until you die upon that Iman by his permission uh, and by his grace and his mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this Al-Imam Al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned this is one of the reasons why the prophets called upon Allah most frequently with the name Rabb. In most of the dua of the prophets, majority of the time you see Rabbi. The dua starts Rabbi. Or Rabbana, our Lord, my Lord. To give you, to remind you of this. That Allah is the one who gave you this special gift of Iman. And for the prophets, the special gift, or even more special gift of prophethood that Allah gave to them and he nurtured them upon it and he protected it for them and he protected them so they could deliver it in the way that he commanded. So this is from the tarbiyah, which is tarbiyatun khasa, a particular special kind of nurturing that Allah gives to his believing slaves. As for the name of Allah, then Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, they affirm for it three meanings. Three meanings for the name of Allah. And that is Uluwul Dhat and Uluwul Qadr and Uluwul Qahar, as they say. Uh, so there are three things. The first is that Allah Himself is high above His creation. And we mentioned that some of the ulama, they mentioned 2,000 evidences. From the Qur'an and the Sunnah, that Allah Jalla fi Ula is high above his creation. He is described with Al-Ulu wal That he is above and that he is high. Some of them mention a thousand evidences. And in reality, there are so many evidences, it is, it is impossible to hold any opinion other than that. That Allah Azza wa Jal is high above his creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above the heavens. And he is described with Al-Ulu, Highness, and Al-Fawqiyah, being above. As for being described with the direction of creation, then no, we don't describe Allah with this like North, East, South, and West. Because these directions, these are Jihad, Makhluqah, created directions, like in the North or the East or the South or the West. But we describe Allah with Al-Ulu, and we describe Him with Al-Fawqiyah, that Allah is Fawq. Allah is above. And that's why when the servant girl, she came to the Prophet wasallam and she had been beaten by her master and he was repentant. And she said, to, she came before the Prophet wasallam to judge what to do because he was, he was sorry that he had hit her. And he brought her to the Prophet wasallam and the Prophet said, Ain Allah, where is Allah? She said, he is in the heavens, I above the heavens. And he said, who am I? She said, you are the messenger of Allah. 
And he said, Free her for she is a believer. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many, many uh, ayat mentioned that he is above the heavens, mentioned that he, that the good word reaches him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, القدر, We sent it down in Laylatul Qadr. And Allah said, أَأَمِنْتُمْ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاءِ And the ayat in this are in the hundreds and hundreds where Allah mentions that he is above. So this is ulu with that. But that's not the only thing that the name Al-A'la means. That's one of the things that the name Al-A'la means. The name Al-A'la also means ulu al-qadr. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one is higher in status than Allah. No one is greater than Allah in status. No one is, has a higher position than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third meaning that Ahl Sunnah affirm for the name Al-A'la is Ulu Al-Qahr, that Allah is subjugating his slaves, that he is in control of them, high above them, and they are below him. They are under his control and none of them escape the control of Allah for the blink of an eye. And none of them have a will that can override the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Wahid Al-Qahar, the one and the subjugator. The one that everything is within his control and his command and nothing goes outside of it. And all three of these meanings come inside the name Al-A'la. And Ahl-Sunnah affirm all of them. They don't affirm one of them and leave the others like some of the groups did. They left some and affirmed some. They affirm all of them. They say that Allah is high in status and high in his power and control over his creation. And he is high above the heavens, subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a way that befits his majesty and doesn't resemble that of his creation. This is one of the proofs for the, the, that Allah is described with Al-Ulu, Highness Is this ayah here The most high And nothing is higher Than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Mentions because we mentioned that the the tasbih it comes with the meaning of at tanzih, declaring Allah to be free of imperfections. But sometimes it comes also with the other uh, the the what's the word? Not the opposite. The um, I can't think of the word in English. The a, a compatible meaning, like a meaning that goes with it. If Allah is free of all imperfections, that means that Allah is the most perfect. So sometimes subhanAllah comes with the meaning of Allah is the most perfect. And sometimes it comes with the meaning that Allah has no imperfections. And the two are two sides of the same, of the same coin, right? They're the same meaning. Uh, but while we often think about subhanAllah is only coming to mean that Allah is free of imperfections like subhana, They say that Allah took a son, subhanAllah It also in this surah it shows that it doesn't come in the negative context It comes in 
uh, it comes in perfection, affirming perfection. And here, uh, ism here, doesn't mean one of the names of Allah. And Allah knows best. Here, the, the Arabic grammar of the word ism here indicates that it's, it, it's like uh, ism jins. It's like, or it has the meaning. It has the meaning of ism jins. That's what it has the meaning of. That the meaning is like a jins, like all the names of Allah. So you, or it, it shows you the perfection of all of the names of Allah and that none of the names of Allah have any perfection in it at all, or in them at all. And none of the attributes of Allah have any imperfection in them at all. And this is from what Allah has This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us to praise him with. This is what Allah has taught us to praise him with. And uh, in reality, we wouldn't know how to praise Allah unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us. And we know that from the dua that the Prophet sallallahu used to make, La uhsi thana'an alayk. We cannot perfect praise of you. We can't praise you. We can't bring the praise of you in the perfect way that it should be. But we can only praise you as you have praised yourself. The way you praised yourself, that is how. That is how uh, we praise Allah Azza wa Jalla. There are some points that are mentioned here which I might go into next lesson rather than this lesson. Uh, the issue of what's the difference between uh, the, the use of the ba فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ What's the difference of فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ In Surah Al-Waqi'ah And سَبِّحْ إِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْعَالَى Without the bat Issue is whether it becomes a little bit difficult to follow Without knowing the Arabic language But we'll come maybe come into that a little bit more next lesson Because there's a lot of things to talk about this first ayah There's also the issue of whether you say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la inside of the Salah or outside of the Salah when you hear this Surah. Is it, is it the case that you should, when you hear the Surah you should say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la when you hear this Ayah? That's also something that we need to talk about but that's also something that we might have to delay because that's also quite a big uh, topic in terms of the narrations on that on that issue
We'll go on to the next ayah just to give it some context. Uh, and then we'll stop because we don't want to take too long today. But we'll just go to the next ayah to give it a little bit of... So we can just put it into context. Then we'll come back next lesson and we'll cover some of the extra issues in, in, inside of Sabbihisma Rabbikal A'la. الَّذِي خَلَقَ فَسَوَّى Ibn Kathir, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, اَيْ خَلَقَ الْخَلِيقَةِ وَسَوَّى كُلَّ مَخْلُوقٍ فِي أَحْسَنِ الْهَيْئَاتِ He said that Allah Azza wa Jal created creation and he fashioned every created thing into the best of forms. I'm going to see the different ways that this is uh, translated. Not that I, I'm not great, you know that you already know by now that I'm not a great fan of the English translations that exist they're definitely, uh, what's the word, uh, in need of some improvement. But for sawa, they said here, proportioned. They said, proportioned. That was the, the translation that they used. Some of them said, اَيْ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانِ مُسْتَوِيًا Allah created mankind in a, with proportion. Each part of man in proportion. You know the, the shape, the form that Allah has given you is in proper proportion. Each thing is in its right, correct size, in its correct place, in its correct shape for what, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, Created you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created each thing from creation. Allah created that thing in the form that suits it. That it's to, to suit its needs and it's the, the reason for which it was created. And that also... That also leads you to, to, to an interesting, just a side note, about the severity of the sin of changing the creation of Allah. The severity of changing what Allah has created. You know the, the punishments for different things that relate to changing what Allah has created. Meaning a person isn't satisfied with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. So things like cosmetic surgery and Things like that, that come under changing the creation of Allah. As the shaitan promised, as Allah told us in the Qur'an, the shaitan promised that he would encourage us to change the creation of Allah. So the first thing to understanding this is to understand that this is how Allah has given you the creation, the form that suits you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen that for you. He created you and He gave you the proportion and the form that you is best suited to you. And that doesn't mean you can't create, correct a, a deficiency. Like for example, someone has a broken tooth and they want to get that tooth rebuilt or someone's teeth change color and they want to bring it back to the original color. 
or somebody loses a limb and they want to have that restored or someone has their face burnt in a fire and they want to have it restored with surgery because this is going back to how Allah created you. It's not changing what Allah created. It's bringing back to how Allah created you and it comes under the topic of medicine. It doesn't come under the topic of changing the creation of Allah. But mostly changing the creation of Allah comes under cosmetic things, beauty treatments and cosmetic things where the goal is to change what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you. And there are specific ahadith on this within the sunnah. And this ayah reminds you, it reminds you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gave you your form and created you like he created you. There is uh, some discussion about the difference between khalaqa fasawwa. Uh, the fa here indicating that it after Allah created then created and then as usually fa comes with the meaning of taqib and it follows immediately afterwards so they say that creation is a general word the word creation generally the word khalq is very general and the word khalq actually covers all of the stages of creation when it's on its own when it comes on its own it covers all of the stages of creation But when it is mentioned along with other names or other actions, then each one of them is separate. So for example, Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari' Al-Musawwir. Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari' Al-Musawwir. Each of these three names effectively means creation. But each refers to a different element of creation because in a very in a very rudimentary simple way you could say al-khaliq and al-bari is al-khaliq and al-musawwir is also al-khaliq in a very simple way in a very simple way but actually now al-khaliq doesn't refer to the gen now it refer each one refers to a different stage of creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, willed it or you can say, um, it's difficult to find the right word. The word, we, the word I'm looking for is a word like design, but the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed it like that. Allah willed it, and then Allah brought it into being from nothing. This is al-bari, the one who brings into existence from nothing. And then al-musawwir, who fashioned it and shaped it into the form that it now has, the, the surah that it has, the shape and the form that it has. So here you see that the word khalq, when it comes on its own, covers everything. Al-khaliq, the one who willed it, the one who brought it from nothing, and the one who gave it its form. All of it means al-khaliq. But when it's mentioned with details, like the, the khalq is mentioned in phases or stages, so each one of it has a different meaning. So here also, khalq is mentioned along with taswiyah. Khalq and taswiyah are mentioned together. Alladhi khalaqa fasawwa. The two are mentioned together. So here they have uh, two uh, meanings or the, the word khalq here 
uh, is more is is again to uh, will it and to bring it from nothing, and so what to proportion it and to fashion it, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. وَالَّذِي قَدَّرَ فَهَدَى The one who قَدَّرَ He decreed فَهَدَى And he guided. So the word قَدَّرَ here there are uh, two there are two Ways we can look at it And both of them are correct There are two ways that we can look at it And both of them are correct One of them Is that Qaddara here Refers to Al-Qadr The decree of Allah And that's why Mujahid Rahimullah Ta'ala He said uh, He said when he was asked about this he said, هَدَى الْإِنسَانِ لِلشَّقَاوَةِ وَالسَّعَادَةِ He said that Allah guided mankind either to wretchedness or happiness. Either, either from the people of the fire or either from the people of Jannah. And some of them said, قَدَّرَ قَدَرًا وَهَدَى الْخَلَائِقَ إِلَيْهِ So they took the word Qadr here as being the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being the Qadr, the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word originally means to measure or to determine something. To determine something and to give it its proper measure. And that's why sometimes it's translated as who measured, then guided. The guidance again here is of two types. There is a general guidance and there is a specific guidance. General guidance is given to all of Allah's creation. So all of Allah's creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala measured everything for them. And Allah decreed everything for them. Allah decreed for them their lifespan. Allah decreed for them what the end result of their life will be. Allah decreed everything about them. And nothing they do goes outside of the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the hidayah of Allah is of two types. There is a hidayah amma and a hidayah which is khasa. The hidayah amma is the general guidance to be able to live. Without Allah's guidance, you can't live. Like, how does your heart know how to beat? How do your lungs know how to breathe? How do you know what food is poisonous for you or not? How do you know to, how does a baby know to drink from its mother's milk, for example? How does a person know when they are hungry or thirsty? And how does a person know when they've eaten too much or not? How does a person know how to get there, to get an income, how to learn how to, how to live? And I'm not talking about the time of you know, education or otherwise. I'm talking about the instincts, human instincts, to be able to survive, survival instinct. All of this is from the hidayah of Allah. But it's from the hidayah, amma. The general guidance that Allah gives to everybody, mu'min, kafir, whether human being or animal. The animals, look at their instincts. It's amazing when you see how Allah has guided them. The 
naturally able to you know they know what to eat what not to eat they know how to survive to run away from they know how to live Allah guides them like that and then there is a hidayah khasa which is the hidayah of al-iman wa-tawfiq that Allah gives you iman and Allah gives you the success to be able to follow it and this hidayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only gives it to a few of his believing servants because if you look at generally the the world you see the majority of people have not been given this hidayah and there is a hidayah which is a khas which is more specific which is a hidayah to the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and to following the way of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum and to knowing, you know, among all... So there is a hidayah within hidayah. So to start with, we said a hidayah khasa, the unique hidayah is hidayah of iman and tawfiq. But in this, people are not equal. Allah doesn't just give you khas, you all had iman equally like that. Rather, Allah Azza wa Jal gives more to some than others and gives uh, more success to some than others. And so there is... A hidayah which is even more specific than that. And that is that among all of the Muslims, Allah guides you to the book of Allah and to the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam and the understanding of the Sahaba anhum and those who followed them in good. And this is hidayah on top of hidayah. Or nurun ala nur, light upon light, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides you to that. And they are even smaller than now you're talking about the smallest number among the smallest number. How many are the Muslims in the world today compared to the whole world population? Then how many of those Muslims are actually even practicing Islam at all? Then how many of them are practicing Islam according to the kitab and the sunnah wa makana alayhi salafu hadhi al-ummah what the early generations were upon? Aqallul qalil The smallest number that's the grace of Allah So if Allah gave you the tawfiq To be from that You don't let it go You hold onto it You hold onto it with your molar teeth You don't let go That Allah gave you the tawfiq To understand that And to be able to follow it Because that's a big gift from Allah That Allah gave you this hidayah Which is hidayatun khasa This specific unique guidance as for the qadr of Allah Azza wa Jal, and we'll just mention a little bit about this before we stop, because it's important people understand the topic of qadr properly. Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned that qadr, he said it is bahrun la sahila lah, that it's a sea without any shore. Whoever sails upon the, the ship of the sunnah has been saved. And anyone who goes away from the sunnah in this is going to drown. Because it's a sea that doesn't have a shore. You're going to drown and it has to be. La mahala, you're going to drown in it unless you are upon the sunnah. So broadly speaking, how do we understand qadr? The qadr of Allah Azza wa Jal. We have to understand four things in a basic way. Four very simple things. The first thing we understand that Allah Azza wa Jal knows everything. He knows what has happened 
and he knows what will happen. He knows the possible and he knows the impossible. He knows the present, the past and the future. And every possible permutation and every impossible permutation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it. The second thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the pen to write. The pen said, what shall I write? And Allah said, write everything that will happen until Yawm Qiyamah. And that's not difficult for Allah. That's not, وَمَا ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِعَزِيزٍ That's not hard for Allah. Because if Allah knows everything that happened and everything that will happen, then it's not hard for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to command the pen to write that. And there is nothing which is difficult for Allah. Allah is able to do all things. على كل شيء قدير. The third thing is that nothing happens in this universe except with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah Azawajal wills it. You have free will, but your will is under the will of Allah. لِمَن شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَسْتَقِيمُ وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا إِنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ So maybe today, I'll give you a simple example. Today, I willed, شِئْتُ I willed to recite one juz of the Qur'an, but Allah didn't will for it to happen. I forgot, I became busy, I got distracted. I willed it, but Allah didn't will it. Because my choice is my choice. I'll be rewarded for my intention or choice, what I made, if Allah accepts it from me. I'll be rewarded for that, but ultimately, whether it happens or not, that's the will of Allah. And there is some beautiful poetry of Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah he said, ما شئت كان وإن لم أشأ وما شئت إن لم تشأ لم يكن خلقت العباد على ما علمت وفي العلم يجري الفتى والمسين على ذا مننت وهذا خذلت وهذا عنت وذا لم تعن فمنهم شقي ومنهم سعيد ومنهم قبيح ومنهم حسن He said that whatever you will is going to happen even if I don't will it. And whatever I will, if you don't will it, it won't happen. You created your servants based upon what you know. And what you know is good for them, what you know will happen to them. And in your knowledge, uh, travel the young and the old. Neither the young or the old go outside of your knowledge. This one you blessed, and this one you took away the blessings from, you disgraced. And this one you helped, and that one you didn't. Among them are those who are wretched from the people of the fire, and among them are those who are happy from the people of Jannah. And among them are those who are ugly and those who are beautiful. So this summarizes this concept that Allah's will goes above everything. But you have a will. If you don't have a will, how is Allah going to punish somebody if it's not your choice, right? You're going to get punished, but ultimately you can't achieve something unless Allah wills it. You can wish all you want, but until Allah gives you the ability to do that, okay, you won't be able to do it. But that leads us to a question. We'll come back to the question in a minute. We'll cover the fourth thing that we need to know. The fourth thing, everything in this universe whether objects or actions 
It's from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should highlight there that the Quran is the speech of Allah and it is not created. Kalamullah ghayru makhluq. But the, the things in the universe, everything, whether objects or actions, from the creation of Allah. Now, someone might ask about the creation of Allah. They might say, but how does that work? Especially in the world of science today and the world of, you know, how does it work? It's very simple. Allah creates directly and indirectly. So let's look at who created you. If I ask anybody a question, who created you? You're going to say, Allah created me. But you were created by a biological process You have half of your mother's genes And half of your father's genes And so on and so forth And you are Part of a known Process Of a part of your mom And a part of your dad That's how you are But those two things don't contradict Because Allah creates directly Like Allah created Adam and like Allah created Isa And Allah creates indirectly I.e. He created Adam And He created for Adam Hawa And then from them Allah guided them How to be able to have children and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed for that to happen. So it's still from the creation of Allah, but it's from the indirect creation of Allah rather than the direct creation like Adam, where there was nothing. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought Adam from clay and from water and what has been uh, narrated to you. Okay. Back to this issue now of, of, uh, of will. Someone might ask a question, but... Okay, I've got a will, I've got a choice to do good or to do bad And Allah is going to punish me for that But my choices are not going to happen without Allah's will So how is that fair? How is that fair? The answer to that first of all is Your Lord doesn't oppress anybody You always have to remember when you're dealing with Qadr Your Lord doesn't oppress anybody But the answer to that is that Allah has promised those people who work hard, Allah will guide you. If you try your best and you make the right choices, Allah promised you. The people who strive for us, we're going to guide you to our way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised to guide the people who work hard. And Allah has promised not to let the rewards of the people who work hard go. Yes, it's true, not everything that you Choose will happen But that's from the mercy of Allah Then not everything you choose Because sometimes you choose things that are very bad for you And maybe you love something and it's not good for you So many times you, love, you want something but it's not good for you So Allah gives you something different and something different And sometimes Allah tests you But every time you will be rewarded for your efforts Along with your intentions And the efforts you make And you make that effort Allah will not let it go Allah doesn't let the reward Of the believers Disappear and be lost So you make the effort And you work hard And Allah will give you the tawfiq To be able to bring these, this, 
decisions and the choices you make to make them turn out well for you. But one of the things this tells us, which is really important, is it tells us the importance of relying in Allah and putting your trust in Allah. Because, wallahi, you can't choose guidance for yourself. You can't choose it for yourself. You can't say, us. I've thought about it last night and I've decided to be from the people of Jannah. That's it. La wallah, it's not in your hands. You can't decide that. Okay, you've decided to be from the people of Jannah. Yalla, now start working for it. Now start working hard for it and ask Allah. Because if you don't put your trust in Allah, maybe Allah will not give it to you. Allah is not under any obligation to give you Jannah. Many people, they, they don't think about this very well. Allah Azza wa Jal, if He punishes all of us, He is not doing anything wrong. If you punish all of them, they are your servants. You're the servant of Allah. If Allah punishes you, what do you have to say? In any case, Allah gave you blessings that are millions of times better than the good deeds you have done. And every good deed that you did is a blessing and it deserves shukr. You can never, ever, ever thank Allah for what Allah gave you. No way, whatever you do. Because even if you thank Allah in the best possible way, you will not have that thanking Allah itself is a blessing that deserves thanks. You can't equal what Allah has given you. So ultimately, every one of us falls short. Every one of us is deserving of punishment. So if Allah guides you, this is a grace. And that's why Allah told us in Surah Al-Hujurat, Allah has made Iman beloved to you and he's made it beautiful to your heart and he's made you hate disbelief and defiance and disobedience and they are the rightly guided as a blessing from Allah and a favor and Allah is all-knowing and all-wise. Allah is all-knowing of who is best deserving of that favor and wise and just when it comes to who he gives that favor to or withholds that favor from. And so we say that guidance and misguidance are in the hands of Allah. Allah guides who he wills. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ نِعْمَةً مِنْهُ وَفَضْلًا وَيُضِلُّ مَنْ يَشَاءُ حِكْمَةً مِنْهُ وَعَدْلًا This is a qa'idah in the Ahl sunnah They have this principle. Allah guides who he wants as a blessing and a grace, a favor. He didn't guide you because you deserve it. You're so good, you deserve to be guided. Not like that. Allah gave you a gift. You did nothing. Allah gave you a gift. He gave you that gift, perhaps from something that he saw from you of sincerity or what you hope to be sincerity towards him, but it is a gift. It is mahtu fadlillah. It is nothing more than a gift. You didn't do any single thing to deserve it. It is just a gift from Allah. But Allah knows, doesn't Allah know best who will be grateful? As for misguidance, Allah misguides people out of wisdom and justice. Justice because you can't make the believers like the mujrimin. 
You can't make these two the same. You can't say that someone who spent their life as a criminal, as an evildoer, as someone who disbelieved in Allah and caused harm for the people, you can't treat this person equally to the one who believes and do, does good deeds. You can't. You can't make the mu'mineen and the muslimin, you can't make them like the mujrim, like the criminal and the evildoer. So from the justice of Allah is there has to be people who are misguided. That's just. And if you want to see that justice, then listen to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal. وَلَوْ تَرَى إِذْ وُقِفُوا عَلَى النَّارِ فَقَالُوا يَا لَيْتَنَا نُرَدُّ وَلَا نُكَذِّبَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّنَا وَنَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ بَلْ بَدَى لَهُمْ مَا كَانُوا يُخْفُونَ مِنْ قَبْلِ وَلَوْ رُدُّوا لَعَادُوا لِمَا نُهُ عَنْهُ وَإِنَّهُمْ لَكَاذِبُونَ if you could only see when they were put over the fire and they will beg Allah, Oh Allah, just put us back on this earth and we will believe and we will be from the believers. We will not deny your ayat. We're going to believe. Just put us back on the earth. And Allah said, rather, it became apparent what was hidden before. What they used to hide before became open. And if we returned them back, they would do the same thing again and they are the liars. Look at that. The disbelievers, even in hell, when they ask Allah to come out from Jahannam, they're not serious. They're not sincere. They just want to come out to do the same thing they used to do before. There's no genuine remorse in the heart. There's no genuine... They just want to get out as an excuse to do the same thing again. And so they, they, are more des they are deserving from the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And His justice. Okay. So... Generally speaking, we have uh, got an, a, a basic understanding of those issues. There are some masail that come up from time to time, and there is more to discuss. But I just wanted to cover that from a basic uh, kind of concept. And what's the conclusion then? When you learn those things, what do you come out with a conclusion? Number one, you come out with the conclusion that you are in desperate need of Allah's help. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. If you study the Qadr of Allah the principles of the Qadr and the ayat and ahadith, the first thing you realize is, I need Allah's help. Antumul Allah. You people need Allah desperately. You are fuqara, you are desperate, poor people in the sight of Allah. Wallahu al Hamid. And Allah is the one who is free of all need. And worthy of all praise. Allah doesn't need anybody. But you really need Allah. If you don't have Allah's help, you will not be able to find guidance for yourself. The second thing you come out with is, I need to work hard. Because Allah promised to help the people who work hard.
How's that? Back on? Okay, did we miss a lot? No? Okay. There's a, a quote, uh, just so I can, I, I, I just bring this quote because I love it so much. It's not entirely connected, but it's somewhat connected. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, al-Sha'bi, rahimahullah ta'ala, they asked him, where did you get all of this knowledge from? How did you get this, how did you become an imam? This huge knowledge, where did you get it from? He said, Or he said in some of the narrations, He said in some of the narrations. He said, they said to him, where did you, you know, you are the imam of this whole region, you know, everybody, you are the imam of the people. How did you become a big scholar like this? He said, He said, the first thing I did, I stopped relying on myself. And I started relying on Allah. And I started to travel. I'm traveling from country to country to country, place to place, city to city. And I was patient like the donkey is patient. You know the donkey, you put all these bags on top and it just one step after another, after another. Or كَصَبْرِ الْجِمَارِ Like the... كَصَبْرِ الْجِمَارِ Sorry, كَصَبْرِ الْجِمَارِ Like the... You know the, the uh, stakes in the ground. Like if you have a stick in the, in the ground, uh, like... Uh, a pillar or something like that, or a, or a big stake in the ground that just doesn't move. It's completely uh, stuck in the ground. Like that. The wind blows against it, the rain blows against it, the dust blows, it just stays still. Uh, and he said, الغراب, And getting up early like the crow gets up early. The point is, why I mentioned this, uh, why I mentioned this quote, to you is because this quote shows you something did he say I got it by you know sitting down and saying if Allah wants me to be alim I'll be alim and if Allah wants me to be talib ilm I'm going to be talib ilm and if Allah wanted me to have this I will have it he got it through two things two, in summary two things number one complete reliance on Allah and number two effort hard work and that's how you get everything in life. Anything you want to get that you really want in life, you get it through two things. Number one, nafyul i'timad. Absolutely get rid of every sense of reliance upon yourself and put 100% of your reliance on Allah. And number two, you work hard. And that entails going out, seeking it, looking for it, traveling for it, Sabr and getting up early and going out and trying to get what you want. And that is when you see somebody understood Qadr properly. When you see that from them. If you see someone studying Qadr and then they become lazy, they, they haven't understood it. They have to go back and study again. They've not understood it properly. Because they've understood it in the wrong way. Likewise, if you see somebody studying Qadr and they become depressed or despondent like oh there's no point 
You know, I may as well just go to Jahannam. That's what Allah made me for. I don't. This person didn't understand. He didn't understand. The one who understood is the one who listens and says, I'm going to work really hard and I know that I can't do anything without Allah. That's the one who understood properly. And that's how you know, that's your test. If you came out of that studying and your conclusion is, I need to work really hard and put my full trust in Allah, you understood. If your conclusion is something else you didn't understand, go back and study again. So that's important. Just as even though the ayah is, I mean general, but I wanted to just talk about it here so that people have a proper understanding and people don't. You know when you hear Mujahid say that Allah decreed people to be happy and people to be wretched. Like somebody listens to it and if they don't have understanding, they just say, I must be created to be shaqi. I've been created to be from the hellfire. That's it, I'm finished. I may as well not do it. It doesn't matter what I do. But that's not the right understanding. So when you hear statements like what Mujahid said, and he had a, he guided people and people people to wretchedness and people to happiness then what that means is that those people who are making the efforts and striving hard and trying their best and being sincere and putting their trust in Allah Allah guided them to happiness and those people who are being lazy and using Qadr as an excuse and who are thinking evil thoughts of Allah then Allah created them for what He created them for so that's what people have to understand in that topic. Um, but we now take some questions, inshallah, for five minutes. And remember, this is the last tafsir class now for, realistically, I don't imagine we will resume until 15th of January, inshallah. I believe. So that is approximately four weeks, right? Because of the days. I'm not away that long, but the, the way the Fridays work, by the time I go and then come back, then the next Friday will be the 15th of January, inshallah. We'll start. Should we then have the mind state that we are destined for the fire so as not to fall complacent? Yeah. Mm. No, you shouldn't have the mind state that you're destined for the fire. Because to be destined for the fire, there is no way out. Yani, if Allah destined you for it, <laughs> that's it. Yani, there is no, you're not going anywhere other than the place Allah destined you for. But what you should do is have in mind the potential of it. Not that you shouldn't condemn yourself that I'm sitting here saying, that's it. I am certain Allah has decreed for me the hellfire. No, because that is so adhan billahi azza wa jal, thinking bad of Allah. And Allah said in a hadith qudusi, ana inda dhanni abdi bi. I'm as my slave thinks of me. I am as uh, my slave thinks of me. So you shouldn't have negative thoughts like that. But you should always bear in mind that you don't know what your qadr is. You don't know what Allah has decreed for you tomorrow or the next day. So you have to take advantage of everything that you have and keep on working hard and keep on begging Allah because you don't know what Allah has decreed for you tomorrow. And that's part of the, the fear of Allah that should be in your heart that I don't know. And that's why some of the imams of Islam, when they reached their deathbed, they would cry and they said, why are you crying for? And didn't you live a life of, you lived a good life, teaching and people and you did so much good. He said, I'm crying because I don't know if I'm going here or there. 
And that's what you keep in your mind You don't know ultimately where you're going So you ha- that's part of the benefit of Qadr Not part of the negative, the good things of Qadr Is that you keep in your heart That you don't know where you're going So you, you work hard and you beg Allah And you strive hard So that you can be from the people That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed good for And you try to emulate them uh, the poet said, like the poet said, um, I forgot the line, he said that resemble, the English of it is, resemble the noble one, even if you can't be like them. Because resembling someone who is noble is indeed itself success. If you if you resemble someone like even if you th- even if you can't yourself be like Abu Bakr or Umar, Uthman or Ali radiAllahu anhum, at least try to emulate, at least try to copy something, at least try to copy parts, because copying someone noble is in itself success. And even if you say, look, I, I, how can I be like that? How can I be a person like that? At least try to. Resemble, at least try to emulate. You can't be like a prophet, you can't be like it like the Sahaba used to be. But you can just emulate and copy. And that in itself is success. Yeah. That's it. That's the that's the, the line of poetry. How can we be a student of knowledge in general? Sorry? Now you want it back? <laughs> I think you should bring a second charger next time. Inshallah. See, you can say that. You know about Qadr. You can't say, I wish I did. I wish I brought my other charger. But you can say, 